Welcome to the Identity Matters Podcast. Hi, my name is Steve Finney and I will be your host. Any believer's life will go epic when they discover the indwelling life of Jesus Christ. Thank you for joining our podcast today as we unfold more of the truths of who you are in Christ. The Believer Going Epic. What a fun little word. That little word is catching more attention than any word that we have used in our ministry yet. The superheroes that are being presented to us every single day. We are watching a commercial. Online listeners, listen very carefully. Open your eyes, open your ears, and start listening to the barrage of superheroes that are being introduced. What used to be to your children, but today is to you. You see, the people who grew up with superheroes like me, Superman, Batman, you know, Captain America, there was a pretty small list of superheroes, and now there is this long, long list. Superman, Batman, Captain America are the ones we grew up with, and now we're adults. And now as adults, we walk around wearing t-shirts with superheroes on them. Our children are faced with a list of superheroes So now the youth of today are actually being hit by hundreds, if not thousands, of superheroes. So we're watching, you know, one of our favorite, you know, cooking shows or whatever it was, and a commercial comes on about these guys that clean up after floods in your home. And what they presented to us was a picture that a kid drew of this superhero with a cape on, and they start out by saying, why do we put capes on our heroes? And they kind of go from there, and then basically saying, who's our real superheroes? And of course, they introduce the company that could come in and suck up all the water in your home after there was a flood. It's everywhere. But when it comes to talking about the believer going epic, the truest definition of epic it's not talked about very much. We don't walk around and and refer to Jesus like he's our hero, like he's a superhero, like he's a supernatural hero. Most of us, listeners, listen carefully, most of us are embarrassed to talk about Jesus Christ in a loud tone of voice. As I was listening of the Jack the Journey, Jack gets taken up into heaven, as John did, and the Lion of Judah unfolds some future things that are going to happen. And it certainly has become several of my favorite episodes. But as I was listening to the final version, I myself became overwhelmed by the reality of the martyred saints underneath the altar. 
who gave their lives, as it says in the book of Revelation, they literally gave their lives for the word of God. Now, there are some of you that are listening right now, whether you're driving down the freeway or you're sitting in a small group of uh, people that you're teaching, you are experiencing right now a calloused feeling of this is just another message. Because you're spoiled rotten. You have heard too many messages on the word of God and you've become absolutely spoiled rotten. The word of God is not grabbing a hold of you anymore. Do you realize that the word of God is sharper than a two-edged sword? It can divide the soul from the spirit, the joint from the marrow. Do you know what marrow is? Marrow is what produces the white cells where we get our DNA, our identity in our blood. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight is DNA. Spiritual DNA that has been given to us because we have been grafted into the body the body of Jesus Christ. His DNA and where he got it has been given to us. Those of you who downloaded the PDF, you're looking at a slide, and I'm going to read our opening paragraph to you. There are those who would consider the blood of Jesus more significant than the word of God points out. People have a tendency to take the truth and let their imaginations run wild and turn it into superstition. The original truth as God established it soon develops or takes on a mystical meaning that contradicts the word of God. That's what we're good at. We like to read things from our devotionals and print greeting cards And we take these powerful statements of the Word of God that is supposed to lift you off the ground when you're singing about it or lift your mind and put it in heavenly places as you're singing about it or as you're hearing it preached. As I hear often from preachers in the field, those days are gone. People are no longer affected by the power of God's word pouring out of a vessel, a frail, weak vessel of God. My mentor contacted me. I put him on a task that I had to have for a particular video I was designing. And he responded with, my thoughts are fragmented. I can't think through stuff anymore like I used to. And I'm not sure how this is going to come out. And as I was reading it, the Lord took over my mind and gave me a word of faith. And I texted him back and I said, our frail, weak bodies that are destroyed by sin still have the mind of Christ in us when we can't even think anymore. He will reveal his wisdom to you. Two hours later, which is right before I started preaching tonight, he sends a new message, how the mind of Christ took over him and gave him the assignment. Clean 
as the Word of God. It doesn't matter what your frail weakness is. The mind of Christ in you is not. People have the tendency to build traditions around self-life interpretations. And these sometimes become as important or more important than the original scripture truth offered us. And the result is we get this social Mimi gospel. It is a an opportunity for them to say all their greeting card stuff to the point that people are just tired of hearing it. God's with you. God loves you. God's grace is upon you. All these statements that are just flooding the minds of millions of people 24 hours a day. And there's no power in it. For they deny the power thereof. So I do want to welcome our online listeners. We are on number 116. And our title is Identity in the Blood. For those of you who are regular listeners, you know that we are in a series called True Grace. This is a sub-series under True Grace called Going Epic. This is number seven of Going Epic. And we're talking about the blood of Jesus Christ. In fact, as we're done with this mini-series, we're going to talk about all four of those cups that we covered in communion. Not one cup. All four cups. That's where the identity is lodged, is in the cups. How many cups are there, Malami? Five. So which ones, which one did Jesus drink from? One, two, three, or four? Number four. But why aren't the other three cups brought out in churches? Now, some of you who have kept intact to the Hebrew present all four cups during communion, but you drink from the fourth. You're doctrinally correct. But if somehow the enemy could get the church to forget the first three, the power is denied. The communion cup will become traditional. It'll become one of those traditions. It'll be something that you just take on a monthly basis. I've had some people approach me saying, how come you guys don't take communion very often in your, in your little fellowship? I say, I don't do communion because I'm supposed to do communion. I do communion when God says, next Sunday. You see, it has to be a spirit movement where the Spirit is saying, I am going to proclaim the fourth cup. Except for this time, the Lord said, you're going to speak of the fifth cup. So I put a video together on the fifth cup, and we got that ready, and I put the fifth cup over here, and the four cups here, and someone please tell me, online listener, I'd love to hear from you, someone please tell me what the fifth cup is. 
the wrath of God. Someone please tell me the four horsemen. After one of the four creatures said, Come, what was the first horse that came out? Six oh two. Two nine two. Two nine eight two. I thank all those who make use of that number. I have all kinds of fun with some of you. It's where my ministry really is. Is in people that are truly listening and wanting to know the answer to that question. The first horseman that comes out is on a white horse. He is clothed in a white robe. He is handed a gold crown. He's got fire in his eyes. He has beautiful, long, white, draping hair. And he's sent out. What's the second horse? After one of the other creatures around the throne of God said, Come! It's the red horse. See, each color in the Hebrew defines four. Each color, each horse defines what God is going to do. He is unleashing the identity of the throne through those four horsemen. Then we have an ashen horse. And then we have... A black horse. Those four horsemen, if you took some time to get to know, as one scholar was dialoguing with me, how in the world do you go and dice down the Greek into Hebrew? He says, I can't, I've tried this. I said, it's not going to work if you use modern Hebrew. You have to go back to pictorial. You want to learn how to do that? Because it's in those pictures. God is a God of pictures. You see, all the book of Revelation is pictures. And that's why it can easily be translated back to pictorial Hebrew. And those four horsemen and their horses unveil the identity of the living God. Yeah, we're going epic. Now, is there life in our blood? Yes, we learned last week as we studied the passage in Leviticus. The statement was made in Leviticus that there is life in our blood. Now, I want to talk to some of the scientists here now. The people of science, the the medical people. And I want to spend just a few minutes talking about DNA. How many here could raise their hand and say, I believe in DNA? Is it, is it real? Or are they lying to us? I can tell you the complete story from the four people in Great Britain that discovered DNA. From there to where we are today. I spent three hours 
listening to interviews, looking at their science. I try to do my homework before the Holy Spirit decides to release his word through me. And that's one of the things that I studied well. I can tell you a lot about DNA, but I'm not going to tonight because I don't preach on science. I'm going to preach on the word of God. Clear back in Leviticus, God said there is life in the blood. So now we have to really take a couple of minutes and look at that. What does that really mean? That there's actually life in the blood. Someone please read for us 1 Corinthians 15, verses 45 through 50. And if you do decide to read it, I need to have you read it really loud so that our podcast listeners can hear it. And those of you who are listening online, if you scroll down just a little bit further, you'll notice some scriptures stated in the podcast. If you click on that, a Bible will open up and show you these verses. Now, here's a real common sense thing. Some of you have probably thought this through, and probably most of you have not. God reached down, and he grabbed a fistful of not dirt, red dirt. We're talking Oklahoma dirt. And he reached down, because Adam means red dirt. Adam, red dirt, made from red dirt. And God breathed life into that red dirt, red accidentally, I don't think so. And man appeared. That's what this passage is telling us. How is it that Jesus got to go to heaven in his Adam body? And it is a trick question. That's correct. (laughs) Jesus' body had no connection to Adam. None. None. Zero. Zilch. You say, well, he was the son of man and the son of God. I'm going to explain to you tonight the reality of those two. There was no direct connection to Adam's defiled blood. Because of what happened in the garden. He became, Jesus Christ became a human body because he was birthed through a human body. But her blood, Mary's blood, did not mix mix with Jesus' body. Women have sin in her and their blood. Men have sin in their blood. DNA proves there are missing links in every single human. Something's not right. Something's not complete. It's not a full strand of perfection. And Jesus, and those of you who understand science a little bit, understand that blood is formed through the DNA that is put inside the seed of man. And as Jesus was receiving the life and nutrients and this growth process of DNA being embedded into his tiny little body, 
was developing perfect blood. There was no sin inside Jesus' body. 602-292-2982. There was no sin in Jesus' body. This passage is communicating this to us. There was a first Adam. Then there was a second Adam. The first Adam was taken from red dirt. The second Adam was taken from red blood. Oh, there's power in the blood. And we need to take a look at that. Many indicate that when Adam sinned by eating of the, from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, he contracted some kind of blood disease. Now you gotta stay with me on this. This is normal, natural theology up until several hundred years ago. Primarily, the past hundred years it completely changed. People truly thought that Adam and Eve contracted a blood disease. Something was in that fruit that, that defiled their blood. And I'm sorry, but I would have to tell you, you've been misinformed. Somehow or other, his blood became spiritually tainted, and therefore the poison of sin was carried in the bloodline of the human race. Natural human blood is thus regarded as sinful blood. In reality, it was the seed of unrighteousness that was formed in Adam, and obviously since they were one flesh, affected Eve. Why was the heat put on Adam? You say, well, Eve got three big consequences. The entire human race from that moment on was affected because of Adam's decision. What if Adam would have looked at Eve and said, honey, I'm not going to eat that fruit. Scripture says she, she handed it to him. He didn't get it from the tree. We'll also know in Hebrew that the enemy goes through the woman to get to the man. The weaker flesh. Woe, man, woman. Woe, man. In Hebrew is the weaker part of man. And that's how the enemy did it. You see, Eve was taken from his body. She was not created like Adam was. She was formed from what was created. And those of you who understand Hebrew know that the scriptures are clear. Eve was not created. She was formed. Adam was created from nothing but dust. Huge difference. So when God came into the garden of the cool of the day and he started addressing this problem, he didn't go to Eve. I mean, he could have. He just could have bypassed Adam, walked over to Eve and said, what is this great thing that you have done? You have messed up the world. He didn't. He goes to Adam and he says, 
That's not how I would have handled it. Sorry, God. I would not have handled it this way. But he goes to Adam and he, he's walking through the garden in the cool of the day, which translates that in Hebrew as the most peaceful time. And so he didn't come in anxiety right after he made the choice and it's an intense moment. No. In the cool of the day. God's just walking through the garden. He goes, Adam, where art thou? I don't know if you spoke King James or not, but <laughs> it's possible. But he he just, I mean, I oftentimes wondered for many years, it's like, God, are you, are you playing a mind game here? Because you know where he's at. You see through the bushes. You saw the whole thing happen. You put the tree there, and you put the serpent in the tree. Are you playing with our minds? No, he was establishing the bride for his son by separating goat from sheep to skim off the cream of the crop, which is what percentage of a glass of milk? 10%. This is what he's doing. So he's going through the garden and says, Adam, where art thou? Adam? And, and Adam's hiding behind a bush, butt naked. But see, he was butt naked before, wasn't he? Yep. Well, what, why is he hiding it? You see, nakedness is translated out as the glory of God. He's covering the glory of creation. And so... He just comes out with, Adam, why art thou hiding? Yeah, behind the fourth bush over there by the... Well, the woman which thou hast given me, she gave to me and I ate. You know, a lot of people, a lot of sermons I've heard preached with some, by some of the finest preachers, Put the emphasis on him blaming Eve. That is not, in Hebrew, how it reads. He's blaming God. The woman which thou gave me. That's the accusation. Not Eve. He's blaming God. It's the first thing you do when you feel guilt. Well, God didn't take him on. I would have had a small theological talk with him, God. Just a small one. No, he just goes to Eve, doesn't even ask a question outside of, what is this great thing that thou has done in the King James? He's pinned it. <laughs> the... The serpent, the serpent is in the tree, and it offers good-looking fruit, to be honest with you. Well, God didn't have dialogue. God, come on, just a little sermon there. And he goes to the serpent, and he says, Because you have done this to your belly, you shall go. And that's when he became the great dark serpent 
and got stuck to the tree. You see, and then he makes this prophetic statement about from this day forward, the only thing you're going to do is bruise her heel. A lot of people translate that out as Eve. It's the bride of Christ. You're going to struggle with sin. And if there's anyone who does not have sin in their life, you need to contact me at 602-292-2982 because I want to show you something. There's something inside this body that is not me. When Paul was put on the spot, if you remember, by the intellectual Romans, Romans 7.17, he says, It is not I who sin, but it is sin that is in my mortal body. He's talking about something here. He's revealing something very, very powerful to us. What many don't consider is that Jesus was supernaturally conceived of the Holy Spirit, comma. He never had any sinful human blood in his veins. No blood of the bloodline of Adam and the human race. No tainted, contaminated, sinful blood because Mary's blood didn't mix with that of baby Jesus. Blood is formed through the seed, not through blood. And anyone who knows their medical science a little bit knows that's true. This is how and why there was no sin found in Jesus. Although the they go on to proclaim that God's life flowed in the bloodstream of Jesus. It's when it gets a little radical for some of these people. And that it was supernatural blood. But the reality is his blood was a fresh bloodline of man. He was the second Adam. It's a brand new, fresh, brand new restart of what happened in the garden. Now I'm going to get some feedback on this one. You see, before Adam sinned, before Adam took that unrighteous seed into his body and ingested it and it went into his mortal body as a part of him, Adam's blood was perfect. He had power in his blood. And it wasn't mystical. It was common sense creation. And Jesus became the second Adam, a brand new creation for mankind. Fresh blood. And if you want to get grafted into that body, I am about to show you the way, the truth, and the life. That's what he said. His blood was the fresh bloodline of man, which made him the son of man and the son of God. All in one. Here is 
uh, several statements in regard to those who worship the blood of Jesus. I don't know about you guys, but I, I hear it a lot. Oh, I pray the blood of Jesus over you. Really? What's that going to do? That blood was a finished work. You don't need to call it up for me. It's done. It's finished. It's accomplished. It's work. Call upon the name of Jesus Christ and the personhood of Jesus Christ, then I'll listen. This charismatic movement that, that took place is from this old theology of blood. Now here's a couple statements. The blood of Jesus is regarded by many of those types as far more, uh, far more than the sacrifice of Jesus' blood. It has become for them a present, living, potent reality that has ultimately placed the person of Jesus, replaced the person of Jesus Christ himself. You see, that's why I got so offended when we started our True Grace series is that a lot of graceaholics are so caught up in the word grace that I have to feed back and say, why don't you talk about Jesus anymore? Why don't you mention his name? I'm not saved by grace. That's not what Paul meant. If Christ is grace, I'm saved by Christ. You see, we, we take these phrases and we turn them into cultish, sometimes occultish statements. Where there's more power in praying the blood of Jesus than in just simply talking to him. What have we done? They have turned his blood into a thing of idolatry. 602-292-2982. Repeating the phrase, the blood of Jesus, almost like it's a mantra. I've heard that. I've been holding hands with people in prayer who use the blood of Jesus like that. It's like, it's like a Indian mantra. Mm. Jesus. Us Americans may laugh, but some of my Indian brothers, no different. You see, it's easier to use the characteristics of Jesus in mantras than it is to submit to the authority of Jesus. Because most humans as my buddy would say, 99.9% .9 of them cannot be told what to do. So you better avoid the name of Jesus and the personhood of Jesus because he's going to tell you what to do. So repeating the phrase like it's some kind of mantra or sprinkling with the blood and you know, I had a discussion with a gentleman recently and he was, I asked him about his new pastor and, you know, whatnot. He said, well, he's got some strange beliefs. I said, well, give me a sample. He said, well, he, he's got a, he took the baptismal container, which their denomination sprinkle babies and big babies too. And he put it in the entryway of the church and 
You're supposed to come in and dip your hands in the water and sprinkle it on your head. Because it's the blood of Jesus covering you before you come into the service. I said, is this something like sweeping your denomination? He said, afraid so. Well, we know where that came from. Huh, Marcos? <laughs> but that's the kind of stuff some people are doing. <laughs> Indwelt Episcopalian. <laughs> or maybe sprinkled upon. So the sprinkling of the blood happens once, as we know. So I'm not defying the term being sprinkled because there are some really clear translations that use the term sprinkled. That's that favorite scene I have, as you guys know, Mary kissing the feet of her son as he's on the cross and she's getting sprinkled by his blood. Yes, I support that powerful statement and action. But it was done once. Calling it up to repeat what they experience. It's like, remember the movie The Robe? And he had that robe thrown on him. Remember that? And he, and he collapses because of the blood that was on the robe. And now the robe is on his face and he's getting suffocated. And he, that's when he gets converted. Now that might have happened. I'll tell you what. If I would have got Jesus' blood on me, and I was standing there on the that great scene of eternity, I wouldn't be able to stand either. And that blood would have a significant impact on me. But turning it into a, tradi- a tradition in our churches has no value. Not at all. Take your communion cups and drink them. Give me a call if you see a difference the next day. I'd like to know. Because you won't. But if there's someone who says, I do have a story of being different after I took communion, then I will know the Holy Spirit had a personal contact with you. So I'm not denying that God does or does not use these experiences. But there's no power in that cup. Okay. Hebrew, Satan. Shin, which is teeth that devour. Tet, which is snake. Nun, which is action and life. So, when we take Satan's new name, Lucifer was taken from him. That is not a demonic name. Lucifer is a righteous name. It was taken from him. So this new television show, Lucifer, they're playing with your mind. We are not to keep him associated with that name. It was taken from him. As Saul's name was taken from Paul. You are not a murderer shedding blood anymore. I'm giving you a new name. Do not name your children Saul. We have a real life story of that. 
I'm not mad at you. I just, I'd prefer Pharaoh. If you want to pick a nasty name. It's a little joke we have going with someone. So in understanding the pictorial Hebrew, here's what we got. The snake that devours life. Well, if there's life in the blood, what did he devour? Okay? This is where I'm going with this. So if there is life in the blood, when Adam and Eve chose to allow Satan to put sin in the mortal bodies of man, he put the seed of destruction, quote-unquote, in man in order to devour the life that was in his blood. Have you ever seen someone get raised out of a casket and descend through the ceiling of the funeral parlor and go into the heavens? You ever seen that? It's really cool. If we could see it. That's what happened to Jesus. But he even did some common sense stuff. He waited till the stone was rolled away. And then he walked out. I mean, he could have gone right through the cave, the tomb, but he didn't. Now, this sin that is in us, that is not us, is what you're staring at. Broke our DNA. Messed it up. So now, no longer am I the one doing it, but sin which dwells within me. Can you imagine confronting someone about their sin? And they look at you and they go, well, it's not me who did it. The sin that is in me that did it. You'd look at that person and go, you will not take the responsibility of your sin. And see, that's not true. There is something inside of our human bodies that is drawn like a magnet to sin. And it happens. It'll bind you. It'll catch you. It'll happen. But it's not who you are. I don't care what your sin is. If God can speak through a donkey, he can speak through a man or a woman or a child who suffers with that magnetic draw to sin. And if he couldn't, there's a lot of testimonies we need to erase. That's hard for Christians to accept. Let's take a look at some details on this DNA. So is there life DNA in the blood? Red blood cells do not have DNA. Is that correct, Tina? DNA is only found in white blood cells. I just, I just find that amazing. White blood cells is where DNA is found. That is amazing. So, if you think about white blood cells as identity, the DNA that is inside these, these tiny little cells is where the DNA is, which is the identity of you sitting in that chair. I can tell you about your grandma, your grandpa, 
your grandma, grandpa, and then your grandma, grandpa, grandma, grandpa, great grandma, grandpa, pop, and you were, that's what that's what's inside your body. Do you know that they can carve off some DNA out of bones of dead people who've been dead since Pharaoh and find traces of connections to certain races today? That is amazing. That is absolutely amazing. Do you know there's DNA in your hair? That all I'd need is some hair from you to gather your DNA to see if you were associated with some kind of crime. Whatever. Dead hair is dead cells. Is that correct? It's amazing. So white blood cells, identity, as your immune cells, in a sense they are continually at war. They flow through your bloodstream to battle viruses, bacteria, and other foreign invasions that come from sin. That's what Satan did in the garden. He needed to get that dark fruit, that seed of unrighteousness, inside their body. And that's how it was accomplished. And it is our identity that fights that bad seed that will stay in you until you die. No matter how many supplements you take. No matter how many face creams you use. Or have it stretched and pulled and cut and tummy tucked. Or put new noses on. Whatever you want to do to this flesh, this circus that is the house of the seed of Satan. You want to talk about the war of the flesh battling the spirit, the spirit battling the flesh? That is Holy Spirit battling Satan, Satan battling the Holy Spirit. That's what's being communicated. Flesh is the reflected image of the seed of unrighteousness. So when your body is in distress, in particular areas under attack, white blood cells, identity, rush in to help destroy the harmful substance, beliefs, and prevent illness. You see, when I have the, that bad moment, that dark moment, and whatever it is that's going on, as I had the privilege of walking my mentor through today, Whatever that, that, that dark thought is, <coughs> here's what's going on. The identity goes and attacks. It says, this is not true. It's not who you are. And even talking to someone who is physiologically suffering with memory problems, able to keep thoughts together, God says, that is not who you are. And if you let the white blood cells attack it, if you let identity attack it, if you let the spirit wage war against it, I'll show you a miracle. And I saw it today. 
against physiology and old age. I will not accept anyone who uses this as an excuse to not to release the mind of Christ in them. And I say that to myself as well. So white blood cells identity are produced inside the bone marrow. Is that not cool? What, what verse did I quote you earlier? For the word of God is sharper than a two-edged sword. It can literally divide the soul from the spirit, the joint from the marrow. And able to judge every thought and intention of the heart. Well, how'd they know what Marl was? Dr. Luke, I'd like to meet you someday. That is amazing that you knew what Marl was. Well, all I really knew was it was when we cut into the bodies and we cut the bones open. Oh, yeah. There was this uh, jelly-looking stuff inside the bones. And so we called it Marrow. Probably not. You see, we're just catching up on what God has been saying since Leviticus and before. We're just catching up on it. When I was watching the videos and these interviews with these DNA scientists that discovered the DNA of mankind, which they called the creation of man, and I was listening to these guys, there was only one out of the four that gave God the credit. But it was an amazing discovery for them. We've come a long way with stuff that God already said. So, in finishing the statement, the white blood cells identity are produced inside the bone marrow. Bone marrow to be the body is as the spirit to man. Just think about that. And stored in your blood, life, housing, to protect identity. And the lymphatic uh, tissue is oftentimes where we get the cancer and a lot of the problems that we have with not being able. It's a sign saying, I just can't fight this anymore. Sorry. Don't have enough white blood cells anymore. Because some white blood cells have a short lifespan of one to three days. You know, that's very true for me. I can hold out for about one or two days about my identity in Christ. And then all of a sudden, I hit the deck. I spiral down. And this is inside of our body. Identity is so critical. 24 hours a day to let the spirit wage war against this thing to survive life. Amazing. DNA is a molecule that carries most of the genetic data, bloodline data, instructions used to develop, function, and reproduce what we know as life our offspring, to pass down sin. 
You want to know the science of passing sin from generation to generation? You're reading it. It is genetically installed into the DNA of man. There is no one that is going to be born without sin. No one. And Jesus' miraculous conception, or Mary's miraculous conception, Jesus, being that new bloodline, is the only human that ever lived, that ever will live, that gets that privilege. Perfect. DNA scripting, as these four guys called it. Scripting from the seed of God. I think Paul said God gave us the natural things to help us understand the supernatural. You're looking at it. DNA is compared to the Spirit of Christ living in us with the instructions of Christ as life development, function, and reproduction. Is that not amazing? Here's our identity matter statement for today. We must be aware of self-dramatized speculations of over-spiritualizing the blood of Jesus. This has often been a result of Old Testament elements or types that are mentioned, those cups that are mentioned in the Old Covenant. And people tend to take them beyond the true pictorial image that God gave us in the Hebrew. And they they take those pictorial original meanings that God gave them to us and they somehow build a New Testament, a modern theology around these types, these cups. If you built a church on the first cup, I would never attend it. If you build a church on the second cup, I will never attend it. If you build a cup on uh, a church on the third cup, I'm not going to attend it. And I'm not even going to attend a church that is built on the fourth cup. And that's what over 90% of every church in the world is built on. The fourth cup. I would, however, attend a church that covered the full identity of the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, that church I would attend. If, by the way, they would talk about the fifth cup. The modern movement today is this. Do not talk about the wrath of God. Do not talk about condemnation. Do not talk about judgment. Only speak of the fourth cup. I can't even tell you how many times I've wept back there thinking about the deception and what the churches of today have done to the five cups. 
all of the book of Revelation is based on five cups. And we've eliminated it all except for the grace of the living God. Really? The God I know may not enjoy using the fifth cup, but he's going to use it. And so if we can somehow emergently develop this church movement that doesn't speak of any of the cups except for the communion cup. And all the work that he did, all the work he did. And that's why I had the four cups over here and the one cup of wrath over there is because that's not for us. If we're indwelt by the living God, we have all the power elements of each one of the cups. And then when he drank from the fourth cup, you know something I found amazing in the book of Revelation when the horsemen were called out? The throne of God said there was a price that justice scale horse where barley is going to be a certain amount of barley is going to be denarii and a certain amount of you know wheat is going to be denarii but then the words came forth from the throne of God that said do not damage the oil and the wine Now, those of you who know Greek and Hebrew of oil, which means anointing, Holy Spirit, wine is blood. You see, the whole world's going to be ripped into. I I could go on for hours of what it says in the scripture, what's going to happen. But what came forth from the throne of God was, do not damage, do not hurt the oil or the wine. But the rest, have at it. Slaughter, kill, destroy, rip into, tear up, move the mountains, cause earthquakes, all these things that are mentioned, but do not mess with the oil, the anointed ones. Do not mess with those who teach the cups. I want to be one of the ones under the altar. I probably won't. But that'd be the highest honor I could think of. I will do nothing but preach the true word of God. All five cups. I will not get pulled into this emergent Laodicean church. Truth is, the sacrificial elements of the blood of the Old Testament are fulfilled in Jesus Christ. He, he became all the elements and the blood correlations with them. And the blood of Jesus is foundational in the redemption process of salvation. As in the final lamb sacrifice, since redemption requires a blood payment. Next week... We're going to talk about the significance of Jesus' blood. Moving from identity to operation. Which is where we'll address a lot of the misunderstandings about the blood of Jesus. Some are listening 
right now, the Holy Spirit's tapping your shoulder. The podcast that you heard of Jack the Journey, about Jack speaking to the tree of knowledge, two people got saved through that podcast, probably more, but I got contacted by two. When they, when they, when they heard the reality of this tree and the fruit and the, the, it was mind bending and alarming to realize that they were standing at the tree of knowledge nibbling on that fruit. As pretty as it was and wanted to be delivered. There's a sample prayer in the PDF if you just kind of read over it, pray over it. You don't have to pray this prayer, but I certainly would pray the doctrines within the prayer. And I certainly would love to have you contact me to let me know you prayed that prayer because there's discipleship people and materials we need to get you connected with. If God is leading you to salvation, if he's tapping you on the shoulder, left shoulder, please remember this. You don't choose Christ. He chooses you. So if this is your moment, it's because he's choosing you. But if you're feeling guilty, or you're under conviction because of the message you heard from me or others, don't bother. It's a spirit moment. It's a Holy Spirit saying, you have been chosen. Now receive. Different kind of evangelism, huh? So door knockers, beware. Your people do not choose Christ. Christ chooses your people. And that's right out of Corinthians. Any believer's life will go epic when they discover the indwelling life of Jesus Christ. Thank you for joining our podcast today.